Welcome to the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up. A podcast where we focus exclusively on the features from WFUV's newsroom. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Maya Sargent. Every Monday, we give you the FUV Sports Spotlight. It's where we feature stories from one-on-one, New York's longest-running Collins sports show. This week, legendary New York Jets defensive lineman Marty Lyons joins Colin Loughran and Lou Orlando. They talk about the impact of the Marty Lyons Foundation as it celebrates the 40th anniversary of granting wishes to kids. Marty, you're someone who's done a whole lot of good for others over the course of your life. Perhaps the biggest vehicle for that has been your foundation. 2022 marks 40 years of the Marty Lyons Foundation and 40 years of granting wishes to children who've been diagnosed with a terminal or life-threatening illness. Could you tell us a little bit more about the foundation and how people can help? Well, I started the foundation in 1982. My oldest son was born on March 4th. My dad suddenly passed away of a heart attack on March 8th. Little boy that I was a big brother to died at the age of five and a half on March 10th. So I was really challenged. I was only 25 years old and um, I was challenged by the good Lord. He said, hey, you know what? I've given you the platform. Platform is the game of football. The platform is playing for the New York Jets. the media capital of the world. Now you need to find your purpose in life. And I reached out to a teammate of mine, Kenny Shroy, and I said, you know, I don't know anything about the nonprofit world, but I'd like to start a foundation. I'd like to put my name to it. And I'd like to take the greatest wish in life for terminally ill children, make it become a reality. I wanted to give them an opportunity that I had playing for the Jets, playing for Coach Bryan at the University of Alabama, an opportunity to feel important. And here we sit 40 years later, we operate in 13 states. We've raised over $43 million. We've helped over 8,200 families. So, you know, I think it's just a lot of people believed in the mission. A lot of people believed in the cause. It wasn't me doing it by myself. So for the last 40 years, uh, I have really enjoyed working with these families, getting to know the family, getting to know the faces, getting to know the stories. And, and the, the, the rules to the game will, will never change. You know, 60 to 70% of our kids that we work with will not see the age of 18. So if you do the analytics, that's six or seven out of 10 that you're working with just aren't going to make it. But those six or seven, they have a strong enough message that they can teach us something to learn about life if we just take time to listen to them. That was WFUV's Colin Loughran and Lou Orlando talking to Marty Lyons. Fordham is welcoming a new president. Here's what we know about Tanya Tetlow. She's from New Orleans, but was born in New York after her parents met at Fordham University. Tetlow is also the first woman to lead the Jesuit University of New York. What we don't know is what music she's listening to. But that will be rectified when WFUV's Robin Shannon finds out what's on President Tetlow's playlist. Do you prefer to listen to music on vinyl, cassette, live, or through musical streaming services? Live. Live. Yeah. And do you use a streaming service at all? No, sometimes I jump on Spotify or Apple Music um, just for random playlists. It's fun. Okay, so as far as Spotify goes, what's on repeat uh, for you right now and songs that you really are a song you can't really get out of your head? I love New Orleans brass band music, so Rebirth will get me going. And who are some of the artists that you enjoy listening to right now? 
It's pretty random. Everything from Rhiannon Giddens, I love her, uh, to my 10-year-old daughter gets me listening to more pop music than I would normally choose, but we agree on Lizzo. And, um, you know, Forever, Alan Toussaint, Neville Brothers, all my all my music from home. Can I ask who you and your daughter don't agree on? And she's like, Mom, come on, let's play it while we're driving to here or there. Harry Styles. Not a big Harry Styles fan. Uh, he, he just doesn't do it for me. He doesn't do it for you. Okay. And um, what was the first concert you attended? I'll mm-hmm. ask that first. And what was the most recent live music you've seen? So first concert first. First concert was Sting, Where? which was great, in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And most recent live music got um, a little messed up by COVID, but uh, we have in New Orleans the Jazz and Heritage Festival where we have 400 bands playing over the course of two weekends. So that was my big last kick of live music was last May. And then, of course, COVID hit. And And, well, no, no, this was this was post this was this May. But um, then I had to move to New York. (laughs) And get myself up here for my brand new job. Well, we have a few, just a few venues that play live music that you might enjoy here. I know. I cannot wait. Have you been to any yet? Um, No, I really haven't. You know, moving my 10-year-old up, I still have to find babysitters and get all that going. um, Unless I find daytime concerts to bring her to. But I cannot wait. Okay. And I have friends like Wynton Marcellus and Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. I can't wait to see him. And my last question, uh, President, is what was the last song you listened to? Mm. I'm trying to think because we just had the radio on in the car. Um, I'll make it easier. What was the last song you chose to listen to? Got it. Um, I sing classical music. So one of my favorite arias is Song of the Night by Dvorak. And I love that. So I pull it up all the time. And I'm supposed to end this interview now, but I have to ask you. So you sing classical music. How did you I get do. into that? I just sung in choirs my whole life and sing opera and take lessons off and on. And it is my mental health break, but um, it's great. And it's do you great. have a favorite song you like to sing yourself? Um, it's song to the Moon, I sing, and any Mozart aria you can name. Ah, thank you yeah. so much for this interview. Thank you. All righty, take care. That was WFUV's Robin Shannon talking with Fordham's new president, Tanya Tetlow, about her music playlist. Maternal health care in New York City got a big win this year. In late August, Mayor Adams signed legislation into law. It'll significantly improve pregnancy services for women and, most significantly, women of color. I wanted to know how this change will impact the healthcare landscape. In 2019, the New York City Department of Health released statistics that black women in the five boroughs are eight times more likely to die during pregnancy than white women. This summer, the first of its kind female-majority city council made it a priority to codify legislation. These bills will improve maternal healthcare in the city. Codifying legislation enshrines existing laws into state code. I spoke to Councilmember Althea Stevens, who represents District 16. She says the subpar healthcare system has left women behind. Black women have not been prioritized, and, and Black women and women's health in general isn't prioritized. And I mean, when you look at the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade, where like women have not had voices at the table as as we should have and should be, and leading those conversations. So obviously, if, if women's health isn't being prioritized and Black women who often are not protected are listened to, you know, their health is going to be even lower on the priority list. Councilmember Stevens has been an active player in the mission to enshrine this legislation into state law. 
as a vocal supporter to protect these bills from any unnecessary interference. She says that the new legislation will help improve health care for women. So I think that the long-term effects ultimately be about saving lives. The maternal health package, a lot of them are reporting and really and, and allowing us to get data that we've never gotten before. The data she's talking about will allow legislators to look at pregnancy details from hospitals. This means they'll be able to monitor the efficacy of natal services, including the use of doulas, to holistically improve the experience for pregnant people. Chanel Porcher is the founder of Ancient Song Doula Services. They offer doula services in collaboration with NYC hospitals. She says doulas are crucial figures for mothers because they advocate for the mother at a time when they are at their most vulnerable. The ways in which the healthcare infrastructure is set up is not conducive to supporting Black mothers and birthing people in equitable ways. And so we find that there is a consistent lack of the basic human rights and centering the bodily autonomy of pregnant people throughout their reproductive life course. Her mission at Ancient Song is to re-establish the healthcare framework to place the patient at the centre of their reproductive choices. You know, if you are an immigrant, if you are low income, if you are um, black um, and a person of color, you may find yourself in a situation where you don't have the necessary supports in place to be able to really, truly support you in an equitable way, such as are you going to have access to Medicaid when you come in to pay for the services? The new legislation will improve accessibility of midwifery care, postpartum care and access to birth centres. A new programme from NYC Health and Hospitals will also allow community-based organisations to provide doulas, offering pregnant people an additional layer of support. Councilmember Jennifer Gutierrez from District 34, another active supporter of these bills, knows how important these laws are for new mums. I got to be honest, I was really stupid about it. I was like, oh, I don't know if you need a doula because I was lucky enough to have my my husband, my partner there with me because like during COVID, they weren't allowing people to do that. And I I felt like... All I needed was this one partner, but you need a doula um, and, and walking away from that, especially if you are having a complicated pregnancy or just a, a complicated labor. It's so important to just have someone else in the room. Gutierrez says that even though the doula services can carry a stigma, they actually have deep roots in the community. For a long time, because because they're seen as like like non-medical or non-clinical, um, it was almost it was almost ignored. It was almost seemed like, oh, you have to be real wacky to want to work with a doula, when in reality, it's such an ancestral and indigenous practice. My grandmother was a midwife, um, delivered a ton of babies in our hometown. And that means something, right? It's, it's women helping other women. Improving doula services could have long-term, wide-reaching impacts. And so I think it's I think it's doing two things. One, it's saying like, hey, Black women, we see you. Like, let's do something about it. And it's also saying like, this is a valid profession and we should be doing more to create a more of a pipeline and more opportunity for more women to take advantage of this. For Gutierrez, this legislation is an opportunity to change maternal health care entirely. Imagine a world where we can make decisions for ourselves when we are the most equipped to do that already. The New York City Council hopes to lead the rest of the country by example. Effective legislation will hopefully allow for safer, healthier and happier birthing experiences for people in New York City. That was my co-host, Maya Sargent, talking about the new maternal health care bills passed in New York City. Every Thursday for five weeks this fall, WFUV will be hosting the Little Series, where we will explore different communities in New York City. This week, we're traveling to Woodlawn and Yonkers, which are home to New York's Little Ireland. 
WFUV's Isabel Danzis went to visit some of the area's Irish attractions. Katona and McLean Avenue make up New York's Little Ireland. Despite one of them being in Woodland Heights in the Bronx and the other in Yonkers, Irish flags hang proudly on both streets. Irish attractions make the area special. Irish butchers, gift shops, pubs, grocery stores, and more scatter the area. And this is not new. There has always been a strong Irish presence in the area. Murdoch Hegarty is the owner of the Irish coffee shop on McLean Avenue. He says the coffee shop is Irish because of the products that it offers. Well, we do breakfast, lunch, and dinner here. So we serve like all Irish products. We have like everything that you get at home. We have Club Orange, LucasAid, things that Irish people love. We make our own bacon here, which is very popular in Ireland. So we do bacon and cabbage. Places like the Irish coffee shop are important for immigrants in New York to create a sense of familiarity. Peter Carty is a manager at Rambling House, an Irish pub on Katona Avenue. And Carty agrees with Hegarty. The area's Irish reputation precedes itself. Immigrants find comfort in knowing that they will find a small slice of home there. Um, so it's important that there's, you know, a place in the city for each culture. Uh, I think specifically for the Irish, the Irish have a long history of coming to New York, uh, working in construction and hospitality. Rambling House is one of the Irish pubs in the area. Cardi's father, Joe, opened up the bar 20 years ago with his partner. The pub is a place where people can enjoy traditional Irish food and music. We do live Irish music every week. Um, it's a big part of the culture and a big thing that we like supporting here. And just all the young musicians coming out from Ireland, like having a place for them to play. Irish music is a big part of the culture and a big part of Little Ireland. Music and Irish dancing is an integral part of Irish culture, especially here in America, you know, so you don't lose grasp of your roots and lose grasp of your identity. And I even find that Irish people themselves, a lot of the Irish kids that come out here, they wouldn't even have been that big of a fan of Irish music in Ireland. But when they come here, they kind of yearn for that sense of home, so they get into it more here than they were ever at home. That's Seamus Keane. He's the lead singer of the Irish band, The Narrowbacks. He also owns Keane's Bar, another Irish pub on Katona Avenue. The Narrowbacks have played all across the neighborhood, as well as the country. Even though food and music are important to keeping the Irish culture alive in the area, so are cultural centers, like the Ashling Irish Community and Cultural Center. It's down the street from the Irish coffee shop on McLean Avenue. For Alish Keneally, the cultural development officer of the Ashling Center, the center acts as a place for people to come together. The Ashling Irish Center is very much an inclusive and kind of a safe space for a lot of people. We have a lot of services and classes and programs and stuff that we facilitate and we host, but it's pretty much just an open door and people can walk in. We have a lot of stuff to do with Irish culture, but we also welcome any other nationalities and cultures as well. The center has many services for the community. They have programs for the elderly, they give a space to a local Irish dancing school, and they host classes for people to learn the Irish language. I obviously moved from Ireland, but we definitely do cater to like Irish Americans and like people who've maybe had one grandparent from Ireland. So I do think it helps like people like that, like feel like they know where they came from. They know a little bit more about what their family's experience would have been like in Ireland. 
and very much just trying to link the two cultures because there is there is definitely a different culture for Irish Americans point of view they have a lot to offer us too we have a lot to learn from each other. Woodlong and Yonker serve as important hubs for Irish culture. It is a special place for Irish and Irish Americans to feel connected to their culture in a unique way. Here's Seamus Keane again. The importance of it is really proven through when people move away and then they come back um, because they're not finding, you know, the suburbs are a little bit diluted versions of the culture, you know. Um, I guess it's when everybody assimilates into being American, but they can always come back to the Bronx. They can always come back to Katona Avenue. Little Ireland is a place where people can come together through music, food, and community. I'm Isabel Danzis, WFUV News. And that's it from us. But you can catch the What's What weekly wrap-up every Friday for more features exclusively from the WFUV Newsroom. Make sure to check out the WFUV What's What daily podcast. It explores current events, culture news, and hot topic issues surrounding the New York metropolitan area. Including features and interviews just like the ones you heard exclusively from FUV. You can catch new episodes every weekday at 3. Subscribe where you get your podcasts. Or find more at WFUVnews.org. I'm Maya Sargent. And I'm David Escobar.